Now for a show by a brother and sister who are polar opposites, but who both found a calling running solo businesses. This is the Unfederated Podcast. Hey, Sarah. Hey, bro. How are you? Good. How are you? Good. I had a um, workers the house today, and this um, this fella has been working. It's like his eleventh day working in our house on our foundation, and um, he was like, "So, uh, where is your brother?" Um, <laughs> and I I realized, you know, like I kind of squinted and was like, "Walker," you know, my husband's name, and he said, "Yes." And I said, oh, that's my husband. And he goes, oh, I thought that was your brother, which means that he thought that we, me and my brother lived together in a house. And I'm like visibly pregnant, too. So like, like the thought process of why he just jumped to the conclusion of like, well, that must be Walker's sister in the house is still puzzling me. Like, so your foundation is the least of your worries yeah. in this scenario. Yeah. <laughs> now I'm just really perplexed. Like <laughs> the most obvious answer was definitely the right one. I don't know how it got to that one. <laughs> um, but it's fascinating. So um, that was a weird interaction. And uh, yeah, um, but the foundation's going great. It's getting a lot sturdier. I'm really excited to do my jump rope. <laughs> That's right. Uh, old house problems. Yeah, it's a really old Victorian house. So there's always something. And I keep saying the thing you told me, which you were so right about, the phrase you said, like, you just, with an old house, you need to know when to stop pulling the thread. <laughs> Man, that's that's so true. Like, at some point... You just have to cut it. Yeah. <laughs> I'd be like, all right, well, that looks okay for now. Like, uh, yeah, Walker started talking about wanting to, you know, like preventatively replace some asbestos piping. And I was like, <laughs> no, <laughs> like, <laughs> we will do that if and when we have to, sir. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's my approach to that, courtesy of you. Words of wisdom from Rob. I was also reading a book. And let me tell you about the book. Um, have you heard of it, Company of One by Paul Jarvis? No. Um, it got sent to me by a listener and longtime friend, long longtime friend, first time listener, <laughs> um, in the mail, which was like super thoughtful. And it's been really, really good. I've really enjoyed it so far. Um, I'll report back when I'm done. But um, in reading that, I started thinking about some of the um, different ways people measure success. And how confusing it can be when you're talking to somebody in the same industry who seems a lot more successful uh, than you um, and how often that is not real <laughs> because your, you know, your definition of success is something different than theirs. And so, you know, but it's impossible if somebody kind of like rolls up in your industry and is like, yeah, it's great. Like I work five hours a week and I make $600,000 a year. I mean, <laughs> no human alive would be like, cool for you. <laughs> That's awesome. I'm happy doing me too. <laughs> like, you know, there's always going to be part of you that's like, wait, what? Like, how do I get there? Um, or if that's your number, then, you know, increase it and it's the same. You're going to be like, well, how do I get that? Um, but usually that's not the whole story. 
Um, and obviously the worst way we had a friend over last night for dinner and, um, he was talking about somebody in his industry and he was defining their success by the, like he, he kept saying, yeah, man, he made so much money. He blew a hundred thousand dollars on a car. And that's, I would say the worst way <laughs> to, to measure somebody else's success is based on what they bought or spent it on, because that has nothing to do with how much money they're making or any other factor. Or how much money they have. Yeah. Oftentimes. <laughs> so that is like obviously false. And I thought, how does he think that that's a reasonable way to say, wow, that person must actually be successful? I mean, that would never occur to me to think, oh, wow, they just dropped a hundred thousand dollars in a car, they must be so successful. I'd be like, I hope they can afford that. <laughs> you know? um, but to him, that was an open and shut uh, definition of success. And I realized, you know, to me, I do that in some ways, too. I'm not as critical when, when other people are talking and in, in, in thinking as I should be, probably. Um, have you ever had that happen? Well, as you're saying this, I can't help but think of uh, a story you told a couple weeks ago where you got an elevator after not having had a less than productive day. And someone's like, how's the new thing going? You're like, oh, it's going freaking awesome. (laughs) (laughs) You know, which is is like totally not a representation of your actual day. (laughs) Like is exactly what you're describing because that's what everyone does, you know. I mean, like you, you rarely meet someone professionally and you're like, oh, how's, you know, how's your new business? Oh, it's mediocre. We've really been struggling. No, you like, it's, oh, it's great. Um, so, uh, you know, it's kind of the, the verbal equivalent of, uh, Instagram, right? Like everything's happy. Everything's wonderful. Everyone's on vacation. Yeah. And I represent a ton of startups and businesses. And so I get to see, um, kind of under the hood of what people are actually making, and what's actually going on. And I can't tell you how many times I've heard people talk about businesses I represent. They might not know I represent them, but they'll say, oh, man, that you know startup founder, she's really crushing it, huh? I can't even imagine how much money she's making. And you're like, completely silent, big eyed, <laughs> like, sure, whatever. <laughs> <There's>, <laughs> it's none, <laughs> you know, and it's been none for 18 months. <laughs> um, so, you know, there's always a different side to it. I think there's probably like a good rule of thumb is to, is to not, um, just like not take it seriously at all, unless you know the person well enough to be like, so what do you mean by that? Like, do you mind giving me some numbers? <laughs> like, you know, if you know the person well enough to actually, because I, I think that's a very reasonable thing to find other people in your industry and say, hey, I don't want to be tacky, but I'm trying to make some decisions. Um, will you talk brass tacks with me about how much you're making, how much you're working, you know, the biggest variab- uh, variation you've had year to year in your income and stuff like that? And Yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm thinking of two situations where I always uh, I, I perceive that this happens a lot. And one is when a company has done a round of fundraising, like a VC, like, oh, we just raised $5 million. And everyone's like congratulating those people as though like, that I, I don't understand. Like, like that's not, that's not, inc- that's not profit. That's just money. They have to pay back. Basically. Yeah. Like the, those owners don't, they don't just keep it all, you know, like, and that's almost like the assumption is just like, Oh, great. Like now, like you, your business isn't making enough money to support itself. So people have given you money. 
I'm sure they have some expectations for what it's, how it's handled. Right. It wasn't just a gift. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's just like, so you get to keep the doors open for a little bit longer. Hooray. <laughs> <laughs> impending doom, slightly less impending. <laughs> Pop the champagne bottles. <laughs> um, yeah, I agree. I actually had that happen with a client recently. Um, really recently where it was a long time client, but I hadn't heard from them a bit and I followed them on social media and on the social media, they posted, you know, we're being acquired and we're really excited. And I was like, Oh, <laughs> you know, like good for them. Like, you know, <laughs> but like, that's what I do. So I guess they found somebody else to do their work. <laughs> you know. And then I thought, whatever, I'm going to just reach out to them. And so I did. It was like, hey, guys, I know you really worked really hard for this. And I hope it's a really good deal for you. And I really get a kick out of following you on social media, just thinking I'm wishing you the best. And then they were like, oh, I'm so glad you reached out. Yeah, so less of an acquisition and more of a like, we're, we've gone under. <laughs> You're like, okay. All right. So there was no other lawyer involved. There was no other anything. It was like just pure spin on um, folding up a company. Because at the last second, you know, usually there's something to sell from a company. So in a way, a company going under is always an acquisition. And that's often how you see it framed. So, you know, you might even, it could be to Yahoo, it could be to anybody who like acquires your company and it could still be for $3. Right. Those those thrift store t-shirts you buy, that's an acquisition too. Yes. But that's like not the best use case. That's, that's not right? what the t-shirt had in mind when it was a younger yeah. t-shirt looking yeah. for it. Yeah. <laughs> it is not. I know. It's, I mean, there, there's so many instances of that kind of um us assuming and we always assume the best about what other people are you know dealing with instead of thinking critically like well i wonder what the terms were oh well i don't i'll never know <laughs> you know move on instead it can seem like everyone's being acquired by these big powerhouses and everyone's being so successful and they're doing all of these things. Um, and they're so, they're so busy when you talk to them in the elevator or whatever dumb stuff I said, which I'm so ashamed of myself for. Um, like, you know, it's, um, it's good to, to check that. And then also, it's very easy to say, oh, man, that's great that, that that person who worked really hard at that startup in a completely unrelated industry got acquired. I bet they made a lot of money. Huh. You know, but like you're not in that industry. That's not even what you want to do. So <laughs> what are you what are you doing thinking about them like you're jealous because, you know, that's not that's not how you define success. And those are not the decisions that you've made. Um, which I think is the ultimate way to, to keep yourself from maybe, um, having this feeling of like inadequacy is to really, and we've talked about this before, define what your level of success is and then re remember that and be like, okay, but success to me is as I have decided <laughs> making between this amount and this amount and working between this amount and this amount. And that's what I'm doing. So 
I'll use another uh, kind of tacky example of this uh, from a different industry, but uh, real estate agents like the uh, it's, it's really common for you to see like, especially in print advertising, like this, this big page of all these faces of, of quote unquote, multi-million dollar producers. Now, if you read that, like you think, Oh, these people are making millions of dollars a year. So, you know, as a real estate agent, no, no, that means they've sold millions of dollars a year. Okay. Well, that's still impressive until you find out that like, like, unless you're selling like 5 million a year, like you're living below the poverty level. <laughs> like, like you, you, realtors get like such a small percentage of a deal, like that it's, uh, the reality is if you're selling $2 million a year, you're not making a living doing real estate, you know? So you can be a multi-million dollar producer and still be like not successful, you know? And, and the perception and the reality of those two things just do not align at all. Um, which I just I think it's so comical that you you take out an ad for yourself, <laughs> like essentially saying, I'm not successful. Right. And I, ho- and I hope no one understands that. <laughs> that is, that is really interesting. Like barely making it. Like look at our pictures. <laughs> but I think the point you raised uh, just a second ago is huge. And this is something that I, I think I'm, I always have this like healthy level of tension, uh, like internal tension. I hope it's healthy, maybe unhealthy, um, between how much I want to make and how much I want to work, you know, because like, um, I think once you find success, uh, doing, doing a freelance career, if you find a good niche, it's usually kind of, um, kind of maybe a feast or famine, but like certainly if things are going well, there's usually more opportunity than like a person can handle, you know? And so at some point you've got to start figuring out how to, you know, when and how to say no to certain situations. And, and to me, the counterbalance to that situation of like, I can always make more money if I'm willing to work more, but like the counterbalance to that is how much am I willing to work? Like at what point is for me, is that, that one additional dollar, like not worth as much, you know? Um, and at some point it exists, you know, and like, and maybe if you're like, uh, a a stay at home mom that's doing freelance work, like during nap time, you know, then, then you're looking at like one situation for what those constraints should be. And and you want to be your expectations for your job. And then if you're someone else, that's, you know, uh, the sole source of a, a family's income, then, um, then it might look different. Um, but it's it, that counterbalance I think is healthy because, uh, there's always more and you can really like get sucked into that if you don't have something that, that, uh, pulls you back to reality a little bit. That is so true. And that's, so what do you think about this? Because this book, the company of one recommends, um, basically making a, a minimum and a maximum amount of money you want to earn. Uh, goal. So you, yeah, which, you know, we have always talked about it. And I think it's most common to think, well, I want to make a minimum of this amount of money. And I want to work a maximum of this amount of hours. But those are two different measurements, you know. Um, So, you know, like if you can do that, great. But um, there's this creep of more money sitting on the table. It's really hard to not just say, I mean, if you have the ability to say, well, yeah, all right, I'll work another hour to to get a whole bunch more money. Um, And certainly when you talk to somebody else in the industry who's doing what you're doing, but making a third more, you think, well, I 
I like money, you know, <laughs> like I want to make a third more. Um, whereas perhaps if you had a maximum in your mind, you'd, you'd think, oh, cool. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's more than I want to work. Right. But what do you think? Well, uh, I think that's interesting. It is two different, um, metrics, you know, two different, um, I can't think of the word. I'm, um, uh, yeah. it's like, um, yeah. yeah, standards of measurement. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Uh, units. Um, and to me though, I, I, I think both are valuable from the standpoint of like, okay, this is how much money I need to make for the, before I start questioning whether I need to go get a, a jobby job again. <laughs> Right. Um, and like, so there's gotta be a threshold and, and that I think has to be a dollar amount because like, that's what pays the bills, right? You can't be like, Oh, well I, you know, I've worked my 12 hours this week, <laughs> you know, like, Oh, okay. Well that, that's not helpful because, uh, the mortgage payments do. Um, but the other piece of it to me on the, on the upper end of the spectrum is like, yes, there's how much I want to work. And I think that's, you know, how much I want to make. But at some point, if I'm trying to optimize my business and, and maximize my income, the challenge becomes like, how do I make more money working no more hours? You know, like how can I work the same amount of time, but somehow be, be compensated for it more? Maybe that's like creating a product or maybe that's, you know, like charging more at a, at a real base level, but, you know, maybe something more sophisticated. And so like, that's the game, the, the challenge, uh, that, that comes with being kind of at capacity. And I don't know how you, I mean, to me, I'd, I'd struggle to kind of separate the notion of the hours versus the money at some point, because I, I wouldn't want to just say, Oh, well, you know, it's March and I just hit my income goal. So I'm just going to like own it in for the rest of the year, you know, like, um, like that, that, uh, capacity still exists. So, you know, what do you do with it? That's fair. And I think it's probably like the only people I've really known who've had a maximum income, uh, that they've adhered to are the folks who are uh, like dirt bagging it where they're, like, yeah, yeah, I work at a restaurant until I have enough money to keep rock climbing in Yosemite. And then when I run out of money, I go and I work some more, you know, or traveling around the world doing the same thing. Um, and that's all. <laughs> I've never done that. And I've always had trouble, like, with even that mindset, because I'm like, but you could just you could just keep working there. And then you could, every other day, you could go climbing, you know, <laughs> like, it just, it's different than the way my brain operates for whatever reason. So I think it's just on a more professional scale, it, but if that's what you're wanting to do and you're, you're out in your company and you're like, yeah, I want to make a hundred thousand dollars a year. And as soon as I do that piece, I'll see you in January because <laughs> I'm going to go, uh, you know, sailing or, um, what, you know, hot air ballooning around the desert or whatever thing you're into. Um, like if that's your jam, then the maximums are kind of what you live by. So I get that. But, um, I agree. It doesn't like, I'd rather have a minimum and convince myself to keep it <laughs> the same, even when I increase my amount that I'm making. And then also, have have a number. I think it would be useful for me to have a number that I know from experience I is above, like in order to make that amount, I have to work more than I want to work usually. 
That way, when somebody says, hey, I make this amount, you can go, yeah, yeah, I can make that amount, but I don't really like having to work that much, <laughs> you <Yeah>. know? <laughs> and then, but at what cost? Yeah, yeah. And you yeah. can kind of like figure that. So if you have a number in your mind that's kind of your benchmarker, and maybe that changes because you get more effective or efficient or develop a different line of um, products or services that help you increase that number, but just year-to-year basis knowing like, okay, yeah, that's probably the line where I'm usually like my comfort level starts breaking. Um, so enjoy your money, sir. (laughs) (laughs) And I will enjoy my hobby. (laughs) Um, that might be useful, but I agree. The hard limit is probably not really something that would work for me. Yeah. I guess at some point too, it comes down to like, what else you have in your life that you value? You know, and, and I mean, your family. Yeah. Yes. Like, of course. <laughs> uh, okay. He's a family man, ladies <laughs> <Yeah>. and gentlemen. <laughs> but like, you know, like you and your husband love to travel, right? Like, and at some point, if you weren't able to do that, like that would, the cost of the opportunity cost of not being able to do that would be significant, you know? Um, and you know, if you're someone that wants to play golf twice a week, uh, or wants to, go sailing or wants to whatever, then like it having something that causes you to want to get out of the office and and make time for whatever those things are. Maybe you're big into exercise or something, you know, um, that starts to provide a helpful perspective too, or at least in my experience, I feel like those sorts of things help keep me a little bit grounded because yeah, I can always work and make a little more money. You know, um, we're, we're kind of in this season of life where we're building a house, my wife and I, and, and so we're like, everything costs a lot of money, you know, and, and we both feel a little bit like we should work as hard as we can for the next few months while we're building this house. Because like, like the more money we have, the more money we can put in this, like the more we're kind of like locking in the situation of, of in the future, you know? And, and so we could really benefit from making more money for the next six months, uh, more so than normal, you know? And I don't even know if that's entirely accurate. That's just emotionally how it feels, you know? Uh, cause like every day it's like, Oh, well, you know, the, this component, the, the electrical is going to cost a little bit more than what we were thinking or the brick is, or like you could have the nicer, uh, plumbing fixtures if you did this, you know? And so there's just, this uh, conveyor belt of opportunity where it's like, Oh, we'll be, you know, if we're going to do it, now's the time is the thing we keep saying. And um, so, you know, it's provided this, uh, this measuring stick, at least for uh, a temporary uh, moment that, that we're weighing everything against. And, but we were talking last weekend, like how nice it'll be once the smoke clears and all this. And like, we're in the house because then all of our numbers lock in. You know, and, and like all of a sudden, like we know how much everything costs. It's not like hypothetical what it's going to cost. And, uh, and we also, you know, like our mortgage and all that kind of stuff is locked. And, and so like, uh, the numbers stabilize and how much, and that would be nicer because we can kind of like take our foot off the accelerator a little bit. And, um, y- you know, it, I guess what it comes down to some, in some capacity is, is the role of contentment in these situations because, like, you know, are we going to be content in, in our situation in that house or like, are we going to like very quickly start looking at the other, the next house, you know, and create this scenario over and over 
and 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 amazing it's amazing to me what role contentment can play in a freelancer's business because it keeps this you know the 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 bar at a at a place that's manageable or not manageable you know whether you recognize that's what you're doing or not like if you're constantly upping the ante on on this high stakes game of business that you're playing then you're just putting a lot more pressure on yourself versus if you can exercise some level of contentment then all of a sudden like you've got more margin in your life yeah more margin in your life i like that a lot um i agree and you know with the the treadmilling that you know you talked about feeling and also with the making more money i mean there comes a point where if you if you've just had all the work in the world coming to you there comes a point pretty quick where you're not able to do it all yourself but are you just gonna you haven't said no to anything yet are you just gonna say no are you gonna take a little like 10 percent more on than you can really handle and then are you gonna just hire a person so you can keep that in house and then you've got all of these additional complexities um, that you've added on, which in turn, yes, allow you to break through to making more income, but your <laughs> responsibilities and your um, your costs are so much higher that then you have to run on the treadmill even faster all the time. And that's what most businesses do. So not doing that, like there's a reason that most bus- businesses do that and that that's this, the traditional business and successful business model. Um, and that reason is cause that's the way gravity takes you and you have to really, um, strongly say no to it and have clearly defined what your, your goals and your definition of success are, or your, you know, when you get the opportunity, you're going to probably fall victim to additional complexities in order to make a little more money. And then where are you? And there was a really good example of that that they pointed out in the book. Did you ever run across yeah, they're like social media bookmarking services? I don't know what that is, but it's Pinboard and Delicious. Or do, do you know that story? Uh, I don't think so. So Delicious grew really quickly and had like 5.3 million users and was enormous. And tons and tons of investors and a lot of times companies when they get investment, they, they, I mean, almost always like, um, balloon out their overhead real hard because they don't get investment strategically. They get it and they have to spend it. It's like this weird model of the way venture capital works, unfortunately. So it's not very good for companies. It's kind of like, um, I guess a golden retriever eating so much that his stomach explodes or something. <laughs> um, so uh, instead of measuring it out. So anyways, and tons of investors, tons of users, company sold to Yahoo uh, for like millions and millions and millions of dollars. And then Yahoo wasn't able to make it profitable and sold it to Avos Systems, which like pared it down trying to make it profitable. Um, but didn't in the whole time there's Pinboard, which is their competitor. That was one person running it. And um, had way fewer users, but just charged like $3 a year for everybody. And the whole time that Delicious was being like grown and invested in and sold to Yahoo. And then this other person, Pinboard, was just doing the same thing the whole time. And uh, fast forward like a year or two. And nobody wanted Delicious anymore because it had passed through Yahoo and a couple other hands without being profitable. And Pinboard, the one dude like bought it for $35,000 and just killed it. 
<laughs> and is like still going strong and has like probably a lot more money um, and actually a successful product by comparison. So this huge, like dramatic journey that you can go on that looks so successful at all these different points, whereas the, you know, it's like the tortoise and the hare situation. Yeah. That's interesting. There's another analogy. There's um, some read it later services. Like, you know, if you see an article, you want to uh, you store it so you can read later pocket and Instapaper are two. And um, pocket was created by a team that like clearly built the, the tool to sell it to someone and they ended up selling to uh, Firefox, I think. And, and that from the get go, like that was, you know, same kind of deal. Um, and meanwhile, there's another competitor called uh, Instapaper that was a one man deal, you know, uh, a guy named Marco Arment that created it and ended up um, kept it around. It was successful. He was competing against this like VC backed pocket app uh, successfully. And at some point in time, just lost interest in the app um, and and just sold it. I mean, sold it for that reason, not because because he wanted to go work on something else. And and uh, ended up selling it to Pinterest, you know, which again, venture back companies buying venture back companies, you know, kind of kind of story, but um, very similar story. And and I don't know, I, th- I think that's such a interesting analogy because, like, what to harken back to what we were saying at the very beginning of the show, this notion of taking VC money and f- pretending like you've succeeded, like all you've done is raise the bar of what success looks like and, and the need to continue to wring more and more out of, of the company becomes a reality. You know, that's what people want. That's why they're putting their money in, in it. Um, uh, but if one of the huge benefits I think that we have as independents is the lack of that pressure, you know, like we could have a business that makes, $30,000 a year. And if that's all we want to make and we want to, you know, you know, do whatever we want to do the other four days of the week, um, have four day weekends and make a, mo- you know, a modest income and, and be happy. We can do that. You know, there's no one telling us that that's failure. Like that's, that's the success we've defined and that's what we can work towards. Uh, or if we want to, you know, work 90 hours a week and make uh, buckets of money, we could uh, optionally do that too. Yeah. Or worse, what a lot of companies find themselves in when they wind up taking that kind of investors is working 90 hours a week and not making any money because they gave, they gave away all of their uh, preferential rights um, to those investors, thinking that they were going to make eight bajillion dollars, but you know they don't get anything if they just make a hundred million or something silly where you're like, you could have been so successful. Um, so... I think that's the takeaway is like, you know, it's easy to focus and people uh, definitely talk about their top line revenue the most, um, their total gross amount that they get in through the door. Um, they insinuate, you know, we're, we have a million, like you said, right, that ad where the real, real estate agents, millions of dollars of transactions, like big deal. I had that in like my first month as a lawyer um, because that doesn't mean anything. Nobody's like giving me the money or anything. Um, so yeah, people focus like, okay, well, we, we made whatever number you could possibly imagine this year, but that doesn't mean anything at all. It's completely the bottom line that matters. Um, you know, how many people did they pay? How, what were their costs? And then add to that the, you know, the costs of 
like your lifestyle. And usually you have a much different number than people are much less likely to be sharing around. So, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll ask you two questions on that, um, on that, uh, train of thought. One is, do you have a secret, uh, like, uh, motivation, a secret goal that you have in mind that like shapes some of what you want to make or how much you want to work? And, and, uh, like a one that maybe you're not like super proud of, but that's the reality of what drives you or, uh, and question number two is like, what role, uh, does a, does a spouse or partner play and keeping some of these, um, uh, keeping you honest about, about your business yeah, as a solo. That's and, and, so helpful. And, and, and the implication was that those two questions are aligned and I'm not trying to imply that they are, but, um, I, I think those are two interesting yeah. aspects. The answers happen to be aligned in my case because my just all answer is making more than my husband, <laughs> like whatever that is. And the frustrating part about that is that he keeps getting promotions <laughs> and that should be a good thing. But instead I'm like, oh, good for you. <laughs> like, I'm going to have to work so much harder. <laughs> Which is a genuinely insane way to think. <laughs> so um, that would be my not secret, but like dumb reason. Um, but I think, you know, the what what is underneath that is the fact that like I want to make enough money that that we can as a partnership treat my career as importantly as his or more, you know, <laughs> and we can do that anyways. So, um, because ultimately even on a day-to-day basis, if he's making more, I do believe that I have greater income potential, um, him being a salaried person and me being a business owner. So even if you're making a lot less than your spouse, um, you know, they're capped, right? So like, that's the, the issue that a lot of freelancers get into is like their spouse doesn't make much money, but has a nine to five. And then they wind up doing all the home stuff and that impedes their ability to make any money at their job, at their business freelancing. And that's not the way it should be you know, because if given the opportunity, usually the business owner has a greater income potential than the nine to five or anyways. Yep. Um, shout out to, uh, a previous episode we did with my wife who essentially told that, ex- that same story from when I was still at the jobby job and she was self-employed. Um, yeah. And it costs the unit money to, to just like have overflow, um, follow that path of least resistance. Um, and in, and in your situation, like your motivation when when your husband makes more money, you want to make more money, so you net twice as much right. money. Yeah. You know? And <laughs> the situation that we that Rachel described in our situation, it cost us twice as much money because not only was I not making additional money, but neither was she. Yeah, that is true. Yeah. So I mean, I think carving out that that equal space for for your um you know, like um so I'm pregnant you don't grow to the size of a baby and then a baby shows up like the baby grows and you grow to accommodate it, you know? Um, but that's not the idea for a business. <laughs> you should carve out good space to make as much money as you think you can make. And it's okay that you don't for a bit um, or from time to time, you don't decrease the space in your life or um, the priority that you're putting on it. 
accordingly, that would be counterproductive. And then the role that the partner plays, of course, is like being a, a good partner and saying, oh my gosh, you're being so irrational. <laughs> that does not, <laughs> that is not the way we should look at this. Um, what do you really think about? Yeah, we can continue equally prioritizing our careers. It doesn't matter if there's a slightly different number attached to what we're making one year over the other. Um, but how about you? What's the answer to those questions for you? What's your secret motivation? I, I mean, year one was to replace my income from my jobby job. And I did that relatively. I mean, um, I, I was fortunate in that that wasn't a tremendous uh, challenge. And then the next year, I was able to double that number. And so now I think of everything as as uh, factors of that my previous income. And so you know, I, I daydream of like uh, year two double it, year three triple it, year four quadruple it. You know, and I know that's not sustainable with the amount of of uh, time I want to put into my business. But um, I've I've had some people suggest to me and, and whatever that's worth that the time you have like you know a newborn to when they go to school is like a particularly valuable season of life because at some point they start going to school and they're at school all day, every day, you know, and, and you kind of like, then it's easy to, to work as a, as a freelancer because you've got eight hours a day that the kids are all gone, you know? Um, and so like you can make the most of school time and then be more available outside of that. Um, but you know, right now I've got like a three-year-old that runs in the room and yells at me and tells me what to do all the, you know, all day long, unless I prevent it. And, um, and so I, you know, I kind of, that has its own, uh, you know, great things about it and its own challenges about it. But I, I try to keep in mind that notion of like, this is a season that will not last long. And at some point she'll come home and be pissed off that I'm asking her how her day was and want to go sit in a different room than me and not have anything to do with me. And so I've got to appreciate a little bit, at least uh, the season where she, you know, can't leave me alone. Um, I, I think from a spouse perspective, I mean, you alluded to this notion, you know, with my wife and I both being self-employed um, that we've figured out, it took us a while to get in the groove of treating each other's careers as, as equals and, you know, in income wise, they're comparable. So that's like kind of makes it easy, but like the nature of our business is very different. Like Rachel will work nights and weekends and I do my best not to like, you know, what it requires of us as, as humans is, is a bit different. You know, she's on the phone all the time and I, you know, uh, love sharing an office with her while she's on the phone all the time. <laughs> um, no, you know, those sorts of things, uh, as we kind of figure out, um, how to come, you know, counterbalance each other. Well, in particular as parents, right? Like, cause the nights and weekends she's working, I, you know, I've got an additional responsibility, um, with our daughter. And similarly, if I have to travel for work and whatever, like it, it you know, we kind of have to share those roles. Um, so I think that's been an interesting, like our, our kid has been an interesting, um, uh, piece of that equation that has kind of forced our hand a little bit to like, work together and communicate better about some of the mechanics of like how, how we're balancing our workloads and, and how we're um, helping each other balance our workloads. 
It's a good point about the kid thing and keeping it like a longer than one year um, timeline in your mind, you know, because it's really easy to take it year to year and say, well, I made more than him last year. Um, so I should make more than him this year and all of this, but, or, you know, I doubled it. I should triple it. I should quadruple it. But, um, yeah, that's too short term. We should definitely consider the length of our whole lives. (laughs) The fact that if you're making a good income now, you're probably on a good trajectory generally. And, um, it's, it's like a sailing to ship, you know, if you, if you focus, uh, your waypoint too close to the boat, you'll like take a hard right and then a hard left and a hard right instead of putting your waypoint way further out. So you can just like gradually get to it. The, the one thing that I come back to periodically, and I hope this never stops. And this is something that like, I, f- I feel like is a, a good thing for a spouse to play a role in. Like, you, I, I was telling someone the story this last weekend of, of our episode where you were sailing and you're like, wait a minute, am I unemployed? <laughs> like, Cause I'm, I'm out doing this with a bunch of retired people. Like yeah. <laughs> what separates me from the retired people? And, and like, I hope that I never lose the, the, like every so often I think, holy crap, like this is all happening you know, like I'm making a living doing this with all of the freedoms and whatever that comes with it, you know, and like, and it like that, um, uh, that's not lost on me. Like how, how fortunate I feel like that, uh, that I've been able to find success doing this. And, and when I think about, you know, especially when I interact with other people that are, having to spend time in the office and do all the things you do when you have a jobby job. I, I'm, I'm just like, uh, super grateful for those, those moments. And so, um, I don't know, like despite the triple quadruple, you know, all the kind of like lofty expectations I have every once in a while, it's just like sobering that, that it's like, it works at all. Like the, 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 the whole thing's even remotely feasible. Yeah. That you're able to make 60% of your first salary is like, wow, that's amazing. I don't even have to show up anywhere. That like yeah. anyone ever emails me or calls yeah. me to ask me to do anything. That is true. It's all a little yeah. bit of a miracle. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's good talking to you. Should we talk about stickers? Yes. Good reminder for stickers. Um, we got some really awesome uh, unfederated stickers made. Uh, they're like uh, two inches by two inches square. Uh, and uh, we're giving them out. Yeah. So give us a review and then e- email us to let us know you gave us a review <laughs> so we don't monitor it that closely um and uh we'll we will we will pay this shipping to and send you a sticker for free they're they're sitting here on my desk right now and i'm excited um I dropped some in the mail to you, by the way, too. So you I got them, soon. and okay. I dropped uh, some in the mail to uh, a listener who sent me a book. Oh, perfect. Yeah, so it's already begun, the stickers in the world. People helping people, you know. Yeah. <laughs> All right, good talking to you, bro. You can find show notes from this episode at unfederated.studio. And if this podcast has helped you in your journey... Say thanks by rating and reviewing the show in Apple Podcasts.